minds. And here is your host, Gary Cachulio. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show who are Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, Tales from Beyond Belief, An Ordinary Person's Extraordinary Journey into the Unknown, and Joseph Simkovic, author of How to Kiss the Universe, an inspirational, spiritual, and metaphysical narrative about human origin, essence, and destiny, and Mizaida, author, psychic, witch, spellcaster, root worker, and you can find her at mizaida.com, M-I-S-S-A-I-D-A.com, and this episode is being sponsored by Ginger Glasser. You can find her at tarotbyginger.com, and she's a tarot reader, evidential medium, and healer, and you can find her at tarotbyginger.com. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Tinka Belchek. And we have a friend that we in common, and she has a really interesting story to tell. And she is also a psychic, a medium, and empath. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Hello, everyone. Hello. I know you, I want to hear your story from the beginning. Like, <laughs> Robert said it was really like an interesting, it's not just a story about psychic abilities, it's a story about survival and finding your place in the world. Yeah, well, I guess I've always felt like the outcast in my family. I've always felt like I never belonged, even as a young child. And I knew I was always different from everyone else. Um, but I just, I guess for most of my childhood and I guess even up to um, majority of my mid-twenties, definitely, I was in survival mode for a lot of my life. Um, I moved around to a lot of schools. Um, I was always the new kid, always having to make new friends, but never having these lasting friendships because I was never in one spot for too long. Um uh, I always, and growing up in my house, like my mum and dad had divorced when I was two, so I don't ever remember living with my dad. But I was growing up in a house where my, with my mum and my younger sister, and it always felt like it was two against one. Um, things that I would get in trouble for, my mum would reward my sister by going and getting that done. So there was lots of friction and, I guess, tension there. Um, I guess it didn't really realize how bad things were until I was in my marriage and when I left him and that's when things really dissolved between my mother and I and we don't really talk at all anymore very much at all um I know going into like you know when she had me it was something that she didn't want to do she wasn't planning on falling pregnant um and you know, then she found out she was pregnant and that was a bit of a shock to her. So um, I guess there's, I felt adopted. I felt like I was an outcast. I didn't feel like I was belong. And that, I guess, stems from her not wanting me and not wanting to be pregnant. And I'm feeling all those emotions. Um, it, it was a really tricky childhood for me. Um, don't get me wrong. I had some amazing and some brilliant moments, but I felt like it was just a struggle all the time. 
um, struggled to fit in, struggled to find out who I was um, and what I wanted to be. Um, I've, I, I believe that I've always had the psychic abilities and spiritual connections, but as a child, it was almost like, oh, you're imagining it. Oh, don't, don't be silly. You, you can't, no one else is seeing it. Like you're just making it up. So it got squashed and I didn't really tap into it again until um, the, my marriage was really kind of breaking down. Um, I got married pretty young. I was 23 when I got married um, and I'd been with him for five years prior to that. Um, but, yeah, it was just that was a, a really toxic relationship, a very toxic relationship, very controlling. Um, at first I thought it was you know, it was, there was lots of love there because he wanted me. He was the first person that really kind of showed that he loved me and he wanted me and he would be buying me things and taking me places and doing all these stuff that I kind of missed out on or, or hadn't had from those that are around and close to me. Um, and in actual fact, it was just him controlling, controlling the narrative, controlling my life. And that was made worse once we had children. That's when everything really kind of started spiraling out of control for me there. Um, being made held accountable for every minute of the day that I was out of the house or in the house. Um, that was, that was hard. Um, really, really hard. I am, um, I, I guess they're like in our relationship, there was domestic violence, there was sexual abuse, there was emotional abuse, there was mental abuse, and then there was the controlling abuse. Um, and, uh, like, you know, I came from a broken home. So the last thing that I ever wanted for my kids was to have this broken home. I wanted to have this happy family that, you know, that all lived together. That was what I wanted to do. And in the end, I was just like, what's better? Two parents that live apart and that are happy or two parents that are living together and creating an even more toxic environment for everybody involved. Um there was there was drug use in our relationship um before we had kids it was definitely voluntary on both parties um but once we had kids i didn't want that lifestyle anymore i wanted to change i didn't i, I wanted to be a better person be a better mum i wanted to be able to do things with my kids um and unfortunately he didn't want to participate in that side of things i think that contributed to a lot of the even more toxicity in our relationship and him even being more controlling because he was so paranoid about me me doing stuff or me playing up. Um, I had actually found out towards the end of our relationship that he'd been cheating on me um, and that just absolutely shattered my world. That was really like the the cherry on the cake for me going, I, I just I can't be here anymore. Um, I had found that he was on a dating website and was using his penis as a profile picture. Um, and I, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't even fathom that he would want to cheat on, on anyone. I mean, let alone me, but just the fact that he would have to use that as his profile picture, that just kind of astounded me. I was just like, like, wow, like it just it went to show me the depth of the person that he was. And he wasn't a very nice person. He wasn't a very, um, I guess a good person. Um, so uh, I really, I guess I don't know really where to start as far as all that goes. I mean, we've had, we've got three children, mm-hmm. and um, when I when I when he confronted me, sorry, 
he can um, – I was always there for the kids, so I did everything. I was the one that's taking them to sport. I did all their schooling after, uh, um, activities. I was also working full-time. Um, with my last baby, um, I had massive complications with the labour. I was in labour for 40 hours. He ended up being breech, and then he was sideways with his chin caught under my ribs. So I had to do emergency Caesar um, and cut my uterus in order to get him out. After that, I got severe cellulitis in my Caesar scar, and I was severely sick. I don't know if any of you have had cellulitis before, but it is oh, it is one of the worst things you could ever wish upon anybody. Um, the pain and the agony that I was in from that was horrific. I ended up having to have uh, a mini tummy tuck scar revision in order to get rid of that whole entire scar so the cellulitis wouldn't keep um, returning. Um, and I think me being ill was one of the reasons that kind of kept me where I was for longer than I wanted to because I couldn't, I couldn't go anywhere. I didn't, I wasn't well enough to even look after myself some days, let alone to be, you know, leaving and going out on my own. Um, after I had my scar revision, um, it was, um, determined that I actually had endometriosis. And again, that was another medical setback for me. Um, it got to the stage where I couldn't lift anything. I couldn't vacuum. I couldn't hang washing on the line. I couldn't do the dishes. There were so many physical things that I was doing and now had been taken away from me because I, I, I couldn't do it. I was in severe agony um, and it was nonstop. Um, when I had my hysterectomy, um, that was just, that was one of the godsends. Um, I was able to have a lot of my function back. I still suffer with endometriosis and it still is debilitating now, but it's not to the degree that it was. Um, my my ex-husband um, didn't want to wait when um, at the six weeks to eight weeks healing time from the hysterectomy and he forced himself upon me and I had a hematoma bruise that ruptured and I have never seen so much blood in my life. Like it was, I just, I, I couldn't believe, I could, I could still smell it. Like it was just, it was so strong and so vivid and so horrific. Um so instead of that six to eight week healing period, it was an 18 to 20 week healing period. Um, so again, that was like another setback in me going, you know what, I don't want to be in this marriage, but I, I can't leave at the moment. I'm not, I'm not even in a mindset to be leaving at the moment. I had so much physical stuff going on with me. Um, when I did find out the stuff about him being on the dating website, I kept it still myself for eight weeks. I didn't tell a soul. And... That was really hard, like really hard going to bed every night, sleeping next to this person who supposedly loved me um, and knowing that he was cheating on me, knowing that he was doing all these things. Um, there were times in that last 12 months of our marriage that I wouldn't remember going to bed, but I would wake up in bed or I would wake up with different clothes on or I'd wake up and I'd have a towel between my legs, but I wouldn't remember ever going to bed or participating in any activities um so that was that was really confronting that was really horrific i would i would be ended up sleeping in like a fetal position halfway down the bed i would have layers upon layers of clothing on if i was putting myself to bed just to have some kind of barrier between him and myself um it was it was it was really bad and i know that in myself i wasn't able to be there for my kids the way that i needed to be um, 
And for my elders to know that there was something going on and for him to say to me that he was mucking up and being naughty to take the focus off me so dad wouldn't give me shit in his words, um, was, was quite astounding. He was only about 10 or 11 at the time. So, you know, I didn't realize how much the kids were seeing and how much they were absorbing. And that really affected my mental health. Um, the, the only thing I had control over was that I felt I had control over was my food intake. So, um, when I left him, I was 45 kilos. I was anorexic. Um, I was lethal. I looked terrible. I felt terrible. Um, yeah, I, I was just, I was just basically skin and bones. Um, but food was the only thing that I could control. So there would be some times where it'd be two or three days before I'd eat. And I would eat enough just to stop the dizziness and then I would fast again. Um, because that was, that was something that I had control over. He couldn't, he wasn't being able to force feed me and things like that. And I knew that if I'd made the food, if I'd got the food, I knew exactly what was in it. I wasn't sure whether what, what he was doing when he was cooking things and making things. Um, so yeah, there was, I mean, there was a lot going on for me. Um, when I, when he used to always accuse me of cheating and accuse me of, you know, playing up and things like that. Like I knew that I wasn't because I'd been accountable for every minute of every day with him. Um, it was like a timeline. I was a hairdresser. So if I did client's hair at home, he'd say, how long will you be? And I would give him an estimation on how long the client's hair would take. And he would work out travel time to and from that destination, how long I would be there for. And then I would be getting constant phone calls, constant messages while I'm there. How long will you be? How long will you be? And I was just like, I will be longer every time you message me. I will be home when I'm home. I'll message you when I'm on my way home so you know. Um, that still wasn't good enough for him. Um, so when he was accusing me of cheating on him this one day, I just said to him, do you really want to go there? Like I just, I couldn't contain it any longer. And the photos that I'd taken of his phone with him being on this dating website and the emails and everything that I had, I put my phone up and I put it to his face. And I'm like, do you want to tell me about this? Do you want to go there? And his jaw literally dropped like a cartoon when the drawers dropped to the ground. He had nothing to say. Um, I packed my bags that night and I left. And it was so hard leaving my kids behind. But I just, I couldn't stay any longer. I just, I was so broken and I was so shattered that I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, that was just over six years ago. Um, in that six years, that's, I guess, has been a massive turning point for me. That has been, I guess, the part where I've started to rebuild and, and find out exactly who I am and what I like and what I don't like and setting boundaries for myself because I had no boundaries. I would let people walk all over me. I would let people tell me what to do. I was a yes person because I wanted to please people. Um, and I realized by being a yes person, I was making a being a no to myself and saying no to myself. I was making myself more miserable. I was making myself more unhappy. My illnesses were getting worse and worse because I wasn't, I wasn't being true to myself. I wasn't being authentic in my own being. Um, yeah, I just, it was, it was a hard and difficult time. The first three years after I left him were probably the worst. Um, I, I did get back into drugs. It was a way of coping for me. 
I just wanted to numb the pain. I just wanted to escape. I just didn't want to feel it anymore. Um, I was in a lesbian relationship for two and a half years after I left him. Um, and at the time, that is exactly what I needed. That was exactly what I needed. And she showed me things that I'd never, ever experienced in a relationship before. But that relationship also had its um, fair share of toxicity. There were lots of similarities and red flags popping up when there was in comparisons to my ex-husband. And I would just be like, no, no, I'm just imagining it. And I'd just push it away. Um, and then when that relationship ended up um, falling apart, I was blindsided by it. I did not see it coming. I did not have any idea. Um, she had told me she loved me the night before and kissed me and we went to bed. And then the next day she woke up and said, we're done, we're over. And it was cold turkey cut off. And my whole world just felt like it shattered. It just felt like it broke into a million pieces. Um, I, I was living in a house that she was in. She ended up moving out. Um, and I guess I took that time to just be a hermit and I withdrew and I just started focusing on, on myself. I started delving into why am I emotional the way I am? Why am I crying at the drop of a hat, whether it's happy, sad, angry, whatever my, whatever the feelings and emotions were going on, my first reaction was to cry about things. And I needed to get to the bottom of why I was crying about everything because there were some things that I didn't need to be crying about. But I was in this defensive mode. I was in this survival mode because I was so used to having to be on edge, be on alert, that I didn't know how to be calm. I didn't know how to be still. I didn't know how to be in that moment and absorb things properly. It was just straight away defense, attack, and um, – yeah, getting through that was, I guess, a bit tricky. Hmm. That's definitely difficult. And then you had to try to put everything back together. How did you do that? Absolutely. Well, after I'd broken up with my husband, um, he took me to court to get custody of the kids. Um, I'd had to get an AVO out on him because he would not leave me alone. Uh, I was getting some days 150 text messages, 50 plus phone calls. Um, and it was, I, I was going insane. I was just like, I just don't want, I don't, I don't needed to turn my phone off because I couldn't handle every time my phone ring, it was like PTSD. It's going to be him. It's going to be him. And the anxiety that was filling with me was horrendous. Um, we ended up going to family court and in the end, the, um, judge had said basically that if his mum didn't step up and and take the kids on his guardianship, the kids would have been in foster care. Um, so I'd had a pretty good relationship with my ex-mother-in-law while my ex and I were together. Afterwards, it kind of went very sour very quickly. Um, and she had taken the kids for an overnight and then never returned them. So the kids didn't even get to say, say goodbye to me. They were just going there for an overnight stay and then they never came back. Um so there was about a period of six to eight weeks where I didn't see the kids at all. Um, and then it was by, by visitation. Um, that, that was really hard, not, not, not being able to see my kids and not having any interaction with them. Um, my two eldest ones at time both stopped seeing me on their own accord because they didn't want to see me. Um, 
that was devastating. That, that, that was like the lowest of lows. Having my kids, them not wanting to see me, not wanting having anything to do with me, that just, I didn't think that I could get any lower. I really didn't think I could get any lower. And that just, that was at the pit of the, the, that was the worst. That was the absolute worst. That was, I guess, a point where I'm like, you know what? I need to get my life back on track. So once the visitation and some court and everything had been set up and I was allowed to have access to the kids again and they were coming and seeing me, things started to get a little bit normal. Um, but I needed to start rebuilding my life so I could actually start rebuilding and having a positive outcome, doing things for myself and find, and getting myself established. Um, so in, in 2020, about two months after my um, ex-girlfriend had broken up with me, um, I really went into that shadow work, like I said, and that was just about two months prior to lockdown and the beginning of COVID. So I was already isolating myself and I was like, this is amazing. I get more time being away from everyone. This gave me more time to go, you know, this is what I want to do. Do I want to do this anymore? So I'd been a hairdresser for 28 years and I had been really kind of disinterested in it for a little while in the last few years. And I think that part of me was like that was associated with my marriage that part of my life and I didn't want to do it anymore. I felt like that was just the old part of me. So I ended up not working anymore and I really actually needed that. I needed to have a time period where I wasn't working, where I could just focus on me, where I didn't have a timeline. I didn't have to be accountable for anything. Like I threw away my watch. I, um, I, I wasn't paying attention to timelines. If I slept all day, I slept all day. If I got, was awake through the night, I was awake through the night. Um, I was just starting to, I guess, find some peace within myself. Um, a few months later, I found uh, my housemate that I was living with, he told me that he was in love with me. Um, when I told him that I didn't feel the same way, he called me a C, spat on me. Um, I slapped him in the face twice um and I packed my bags and went to a friend's house I ended up being couch surfing for seven months between two friends um and again feeling like I had nothing I, you know here I was feeling like I had nothing when I you know I didn't have my kids in my life and then things were starting to get a little bit better and then here I was again I had no home I had no safe space I had no place that I could just go and escape and just be in my emotions, be in my feels. Um, don't get me wrong. I am so appreciative and I will never, ever forget the love that my two friends showed me between house, the houses that I was at. But it was still very, it wasn't my space. It was still theirs. And I, at times I still felt like I was encroaching on their space or I was a hindrance. Um, so when I actually, I ended up being able to get a job, and I started waitressing. And to my surprise, um, I actually quite enjoyed it. It wasn't something that I ever thought that I wanted to do or I would even look at getting for a job. But it was nice because with hairdressing, yes, I got to know people on an intimate and, and a more personal level, and it was quite social for me. But this was a different kind of sociability. Like I was like, hi, how are you going kind of thing, but it wasn't the ins and outs of their relationship. It was, you know, 
just a quick in and out within an hour and a half, two hours, and people were gone. So for me, I was still getting that social interaction with people, but it wasn't in the depth that hairdressing was providing. So that was sort of giving me an outlet to talk to people, but not be so fully invested in them. Um, once I had a job, then I actually um, I ended up renting a room. I found a room to rent, and that was that was amazing. And that was at the time that I met Robert. Um, that was at the mm-hmm. time that. Robert Lindsay Milne came into my life and was like a saviour to me. Um, He became my mentor and we caught up every week and we got to the core of why I'm feeling the way I am, why I react the way I am. And the main part of that was about me showing myself love, like the love that I showed other people because I didn't love myself. I didn't... I. I thought that I loved myself, but the way I was treating myself was contradictory mm. because I wasn't being kind to myself at all. Um, so having that own space in that rental house, while at the beginning I was kind of out in the lounge room and in the kitchen and communicating with the two other people that lived there, it was a woman in her 60s and her, um, her elderly mother was in her 90s. So it was kind of nice having like a bit of a family unit. I almost felt like I was the, the daughter and the granddaughter kind of living there with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I chose to basically isolate myself from my room a lot. My room became my sanctuary. It was my space. I could actually have my things there. I could go to sleep if I wanted to sleep. I could watch TV if I wanted to watch TV. I could do whatever I wanted to do in that safe space and no one was coming in and intruding. I wasn't encroaching on anyone else. I was just being able to be me. Um, yeah, like, I'd, I, I can't express my gratitude enough for Robert, to be honest. Um, and I don't know where I would be right now if it wasn't for him. Um, he gave me a safe space. He gave me a safe space to unload and unpack, and there was no judgment. There was no yelling there was no fighting there was no him telling me I was doing something wrong or you know being he made me accountable for things but he made me accountable for things in a positive way um you know giving me little tasks to do you know I need you to I want you to do something nice for yourself every day this week and that that something nice could be looking in the mirror and telling yourself that you love yourself it could be going out and having a cup of coffee it could be going for a walk it doesn't have to be the, all these extravagant things like going out and, you know, buying the new, the newest TV or getting a new phone or whatever it was. It was just about those little simple things of self-care and self-love that I needed to start with. Um, he helped me tremendously. He really, really did. And he, he was one of the first people that believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. Um, and to have someone that's on the other side of the world who had never met you before believe in you, wow, it was just, it was, it was life changing. It was life altering. Like, mm-hmm. um, such a caring and compassionate man. And it was what I needed. He was like a father figure to me. And he still is like a father figure to me. Um, but he was there for me. No matter if it was our regular catch up time. Or if it was in between, he's like, if you need me, 
you message me, you call me, and I will be there for you. And he was. Um, I've never had that in my whole life. Never, ever, ever had someone be there for me on call, ever be there for me because I needed them. It was always, I'll be there for you if you do this for me. Mm-hmm. There was always... It was always, what can you do for me first in order for me to be there for you? Um, so with with his guidance and with his help, um, I got my life back on track. I started, you know, I was working again. I was having great relationships with my kids. Um, COVID really, really sort of the second wave that came in 2021 here in Australia kind of really threw me for a loop. That wasn't the best, the best time for me. Um, great things did happen, but it really wasn't the best time for me. I wasn't able to see my kids through that three months, um, and that felt like it was almost throwing me back to, you know, 2018, 2019 when I wasn't able to see my kids and, you know, them being restricted from me. It almost, it almost brought me back to that sort of feeling again. And I knew it wasn't that that feeling, but those emotions just, you know, they, they rose again. Um, so being able to see them when lockdown finally lifted was just, just music to my ears. I just, it was, I couldn't get enough of it. Um, and surprisingly enough, once I started working and I was living in this share house, my ex-mother-in-law and I started communicating a lot more. We started having a better relationship and, our relationship will never be what it was before because we've both changed and more so I've changed. I've grown up. I'm not that little scared girl anymore. I am a strong woman who is not going to put up with crap. And if I feel like you're out of line, I will tell you that you're out of line. And if you think you're going to pull me up and chastise me like I'm your child, you've got another thing coming because I'm not your child and you don't have the right to speak to me the way you're speaking to me. You can speak to me like an adult. So being able to have a respectable communication um, and relationship with her has been even been as a big blessing in disguise. Like as much as I didn't want her raising my children, I'm very grateful that she has been, because God knows where they would have been if they had been put into foster care, and if I would have had to see them. So I have great gratitude and. Thanks for her for looking after my children. But it's been a really rewarding experience for me knowing that she's seeing me grown and change because we had these, you know, um, these visitations in place that it was every Tuesday afternoon and every second Sunday. And Christmas 2021, she said to me, we don't have to have these visitation orders now. If you want to see the kids and the kids don't have anything on, you guys can see each other. And if the kids want to see you and you don't have anything on, you can see each other. And that was just, I was just like, oh my God. I just, I really felt like that was the best Christmas present ever. The best Christmas present in the world that, you know, she could actually see that I'd changed. She'd see that I'd made a difference in my life, that I was working towards bettering myself. And my reward was that, I don't have to have these restrictions in place anymore. The kids and I can have our relationship growing and and getting better on our own accord now. We didn't have to have those 
those guidelines in place. Um, I was in that share house for about a year and then I finally got my own place. And at 43 years old, I was living by myself for the first time in my life, paying my own bills um, and looking after me and working and having my kids. And it was scary as hell, but I knew that I could do it. I knew that I could do this. And I've been living now by myself for 13 months in my own place. Um, six months after I was here, I, I rescued a cat. So I'm not totally alone now. I have Magnus. Um, but yeah, like I just like, you know, here I was homeless in 2017, um, 2020, um, didn't have anything. And now I have my own place. I'm working. I have an awesome relationship with my kids. We don't have sleepovers at my house only because I'm in a little cabin. So my lounge room and my bedroom are all in one. So I don't really have the space for them to sleep over. But, you know, I pick up my eldest or my daughter. She's my middle child. I pick her up from school every day she's in year 11 at school and that warmed my heart because she asked me mom can you just like can you just pick me up every day from school unless I tell you that I've got something else on and I'm like yes I can absolutely I can that's not a drama um so the fact that they they're wanting to see me more they're wanting to spend time with me more um that has been a driving force to me getting my life back on track um I I still don't have a relationship with my mum and I've tried so many times reaching out. I have gone above and beyond reaching out. Um, I remember one time I had my youngest and that was at a time when my um, two oldest weren't speaking to me. And I'm like, let's just go out and see grandma. Let's go and surprise her. And so I drove out to her house. And my stepdad was out the front and he gave me a hug and then I walked up the stairs and said hello to my mum. And the first thing she said to me is, what are you doing here? And that for me was like, you know what, I don't need to be here. She doesn't obviously want me here. Like, you haven't seen me for 18 months to two years and they're your first words, what are you doing here? Like, I don't feel welcome at all. So we basically stayed for 20 minutes and then we're out of there. Um... I've sent her numerous messages. I've tried to have, you know, a catch-up day where we go and have a coffee in a neutral place. So, you know, it's not on, not on her on her terms. It's not on my mm-hmm. terms. It's like somewhere different. And there was always an excuse of why she couldn't do it and why she couldn't meet up. Um, it was. I want to say it's funny, but it's not funny. Um, I haven't had a Christmas at my mum's house since 2016. So that was just before I broke up with my ex-husband. Um, but in 2021, um, I had um, she had actually rang my ex-mother-in-law and organised to see because if she could have the kids on Christmas Day, because everyone was going to be there. And my ex-mother-in-law said, "Well, it's actually Belle's turn to have the kids. I'll have to ask her." And I said, "Look, I'll have them in the morning. She can have them in the afternoon." Now, I had no plans of getting out of the car, going in and spending Christmas with her. It was to me, it was, I'm going there, dropping them off, and I'm going. Um, so that's exactly what I did. Um, about half an hour, 40 minutes after I had dropped them off, I got a phone call from my sister. 
and she was asking me why I didn't stay for Christmas, why I did, why I wasn't there. Um, and I said to her, well, the last time I saw mum, she, she said to me, what are you doing here? Um, I didn't feel welcome. I haven't had Christmas with her since 2016, so why would I go and spend a Christmas with her now? I haven't seen or spoken to her pretty much any, very often at all in between. Um, and then I got a text message from my mum saying that she had presents for me. And I just laughed when I saw that text message because I thought, she's just putting on face, um, you know, because she thought that I was going to be there, so she bought me presents to to make out that everything was all hunky-dory with everybody else. And then it sort of blew up in her face that I wasn't there. Um, I don't want to be around that toxic, that toxic energy. I don't want to be around where I feel like I'm walking on eggshells constantly. And that's exactly how I felt. Um, and last year in November, my mum's mum passed away, my grandma. Um, she'd had a fall and yeah, it was, it was very, very sudden. It was very quick that she passed over. So for that, I am I'm extremely blessed and grateful for that she didn't stop up. Um, my sister got a phone call from my mum to tell me, to tell her. I got a text message. Um, I'd already knew beforehand because my cousin and I had been speaking and one of my uncles. Um, we had a memorial for her in January and I knew that I was going to be seeing my mum for the first time and I was kind of a little bit nervous. I was kind of on edge only because I knew that the way she was going to be receiving me was not going to be a great day. She wasn't going to have much interaction with me at all. And when I saw her, it was like saying hello to a stranger. She stayed about one and a half to two metres away from me. There was, hi, how are you? And a goodbye. And that was it. The rest of the time, she pretty much stayed as far away from me as possible. And to me, that was just a sign of guilt for the way she's spoken to me and treated me. My aunties, uncles, my cousins, my other family members had no issue coming up and saying hello to me and talking to me. But she was the one that was standoffish. And people noticed that. I had people come and, and notice that, you know, your mum didn't even say hello to you. I'm like, that's okay. That's all right. That's on her, not me. I I had a feeling that it was going to be this way anyway. Um, so, you know, like it's hard when people say, you know, but they're family. But for me, I just had to, I had to get rid of them. I had to remove that from my life in order for me to go forward. She wasn't there for me the last six years when I probably needed her the most. When I had my relationship breakdown, and she took his side and was supportive of him and didn't believe me and what was happening to me, that was the catalyst for me going, I, I don't need to be around this. If she doesn't believe me now, she's never going to believe me with anything. Um, I, in this last six years of craziness um, and whirlwind, that's when I really kind of started tapping into my spiritual side. I needed something for me. I needed something that was just mine and that no one could take away from me um i was watching a show here in australia called ptv which is psychic tv and it used to be on four nights a week usually around you know one to two a.m something like that but i would stay up every every night it was on and i would send in my photo every night and i would be interacting and you know other people were sending their photos in and i would be picking up on things in their photos and then the people that were doing the psychic readings were saying what I was feeling and picking up on it. I'm like, wow, 
this is quite amazing. And then I found myself delving into Facebook even more. Facebook became my friend. Facebook became my social outlet because I couldn't go out anywhere and I was restricted still in that time period where I was with my ex. That became my my way of interacting with the world. And I started being a reader on some Facebook pages and reading people's faces or people would ask questions and I would I would write down what I felt and people were telling me I was spot on and I was nailing it and I was kind of like, wow, really? Am I really like, like I was, I was surprising myself. Um, then I was mentored by um, one of the ladies on Psychic TV, Maketa. And I remember going to her house one day and I had written all this poetry down. And one, one of the po- poems that I had written was about my ex. And that's when she told me, she's like, honey, you need to be very careful with your words because your words are your power um, and your words are your spells and everything that you've written down here now is a spell. And when I thought about it like that, it was I was like, oh, my God, it's so true. Everything that I was writing about was because I was in this negative situation, it was all about the darkness and the turmoil and mm-hmm. and it was creating more darkness and turmoil without me even realizing that's what was happening. And that's when I really started embracing the fact that I was a witch. My, my poetry was my spells. That was what I was doing. I was being, getting in tune with nature and wanting to be outside more. I was connecting with spirit. I was seeing spirit. It wasn't a regular thing, but I would have these communications with spirit. They were, it was almost like they were a hologram. I would see them, but I'd be able to see through them. Um, it was it was a little bit spooky at first, but it was also exciting. I was just like, this is amazing. I'm loving the fact that I can see this and no one else can. No one can take this away from me because this is my experience. Um, so I started doing more and more readings. I started buying cards and tarot decks and oracle decks and really kind of like delving into it. Um, and then... I joined some other groups um, and started becoming an approved reader on there and I was doing a lot more readings. I started doing live readings and um, I just, for the first time in a long time, I felt this passion that had that had been gone or had dissipated from anything else. Like this is the passion that I had when I originally loved hairdressing. I was excited. I wanted to know about it. I wanted to delve into it. I don't want to tap into it. I wanted to do all these readings for people and things like that. Um, and again, 2021, um, was a big turning point for me. A, another well-known, um, Australian international psychic reader, um, Rhonda Kelly, she was having her own psychic fair and she asked me if I would like to be a reader at her psychic fair. And I was kind of like, wow, really? Like, I was kind of a bit surprised, like in shock. I was like, do you really think I'm good enough? Like, I've started doubting myself. And Robert had said to me, stop doubting yourself. She wouldn't have asked you if she didn't think you were good enough. And you are more than good enough. You are definitely good enough. You can do this. You're doing it already. So stop so stop those negative thoughts. Start thinking positive thoughts. Um, I did my first psychic fair. And I was the most successful reader in that psychic room for the day. Mm. I had um, 11 readings that I did. And that just blew my mind. I was just like, wow, like I was expecting to go, if I do one or two readings, I'm going to be happy because I get my money back for what I've put into it, but I'm getting the experience of 
you know, being in that environment, being in a psychic fair as a reader, not just as a visitor, completely different vibe, different energy. And having read for one lady and then her sister came back and then she actually came back and had uh, the lady actually had an extra 15 minutes with me. So to have that kind of positive reinforcement going, you know what, I'm really enjoying your reading and I really want to know more, you're really tapping into it, propelled me even further. So, you know, 2022, I did MBS. MBS is a mind-body-spirit festival. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was... I went there on two different occasions and was doing readings. Um, and it really made me feel like I was at home and went, you know what, this is where I need to be. This is where I need to delve into and pursue. And that's what I'm doing now. I have, I have my Facebook page, Tinker Spiritual Belly. Um, it, I've been a little bit quiet on there um, as far as doing readings go, just purely because I was working on myself. And... You know, I I needed to have that time for me in order to get to where I am right now. Um, but it's 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 amazing having people that are strangers that just know you so well and can connect with you and understand you when there's people around you in your everyday life that just don't get you. Hmm. They just don't understand you, and you're like, you know, and some of those people were family. Like how? How do you not understand me? How do you not feel me? Like, how do you not get it? And uh, they're just closed off. They're just not awake yet. They're not, they're not ready to face their own demons, face their own traumas. Um, for me, it's, you know what? Those things, Robert, I'm going to say Robert again. He actually said something to me and it has stuck. Those traumatic, traumatic events that happened to me, what I felt in that time, can never hurt me like that again. It's already been done. It's the memory <coughs> of those feelings that keep bringing up and keep, you know, that, that create these emotions and these dramas. If I go back and I deal with that trauma and I deal with the emotions and everything attached to that trauma, I'm healing it. And that memory then can't hurt me anymore. So there has been times when, um, you know, I wrote my mum a letter with no ever, not a, ever having intended for her to read it it was purely for myself but when I wrote that letter it was through like a waterfall of tears I basically could not see the words that I was scrolling on the paper it was just this waterfall flowing 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 I put it aside for two weeks rewrote it all out and then I read it out live on my page and I didn't shed a single tear it was so healing to get everything out that I wanted to say to this woman that I knew that if I'd spoken to her, wouldn't be received or I would have been cut off or she wouldn't have taken it in. And my healing had to happen for me. It didn't have to happen for her because by, by healing me, I was healing her anyway. And I was healing the generations before and I'm healing the generations to come because I was, you know what, I'm strong enough to face this. I can't live in these shadows anymore. I can't live with this pain anymore. I need to heal it. I need to move forward. Um, and that was one of the best things that I ever did for myself. Um, and once I read it out, I went and burnt that letter and sent it off to spirit. It was like, you know what? I feel, I feel relief. Um, it's, it's hard going back and facing these traumas, but you know what? It's so worth it. It is so worth it because the clarity that comes realizing the way, why you react, the way you do to certain things. 
Um, and some, and realizing that, you know what? Sometimes no response is the best response. People will say things to you to get a rise out of you or to get you to react and because they expect you that you're going to react a certain way. And when you don't respond to how you previously had, or if you don't respond at all, that's a bit of a shock to them. But that shows to you that you've grown. That shows to you that, you know what, I don't need to participate in every fight or everything that's been brought to me. I can choose whether I want to participate or I can choose whether I want to walk away and not be involved. And that's what I choose to do. I choose to walk away and not be involved. And if something's still rising within me, that's when, okay, okay, I need to go back and heal some more of that. All right, I've healed it so far, but there's more healing to be done on that subject. So, you know, I can sit here now and talk about my mum and not be a blubbering mess. There's still some things that every now and then will bring up and it will make me teary. It will make me upset. But nothing makes me upset to the degree that it used to because I have evolved, I have changed, I have grown, I have healed. And it, this healing journey is a, a never-ending journey mm. because once you feel like you've healed something, hello, here comes a little trigger. I'm going to pop up and see how you react to that. <laughs> and they're always fun because they usually get you like blindsided. Um, and that's exactly what the full moon in Leo did for me this year. I got blindsided by a trigger and for five weeks I kind of was in this funk. I just could not get myself out of it. I was like very much in hermit mode, very much didn't want to speak to anyone, didn't want to leave the house unless I really had to. And, um, you know, like I was finding myself not even wanting to be on Facebook. I couldn't, I didn't want to interact with people. People were just too much for me. And I found myself going to the beach and just going to the beach more and more and more because I just wanted to be in the ocean. I just wanted to be away from the people. I just wanted to cleanse myself. And, I looked at it and going, you know what? I'm doing this self-care that I need to do for me. I'm doing what I need to do for me, not what other people expect me to be. So I was in admins and, and in groups and things like that where I was supposed to be commenting on certain posts every day or I was supposed to be contributing. But every time I went to contribute or every time I went to do it, I was just, I was getting anxiety. I was getting, I, I don't want to be it. And I was muting the chats because I didn't want my phone picking off its head. It, when everyone like making messages and I was just I can't do this so I, I took a different approach and like rather than being a hermit I'm going to say this is self-care I'm doing what I need to do in this moment in this hour in this minute in this day whatever it was I was just taking it a moment at a time there was no timeline for me so I didn't have to be better by Friday or I didn't have to be better by Sunday or whatever day it was like to see how I feel if I feel good the next hour we'll do something if I don't I'm just going to stay where I am um, and that has been, that has been awesome too. Um, and I found that with my mentorship and speaking with Robert the way I had, the way I deal with stress now is completely different. I would automatically like be like worst case scenario. And then I'll be thinking about a million different scenarios that hadn't even happened yet, but I'm thinking about them that way I'm prepared just in case it happens. And it was learning to stop worrying about things that were out of my control, doing what I could do on my behalf and then going, you know what, I've done what I can do. Now it's other, up to other people to come back to me and tell me what the next response is. Up until that moment, don't worry about anything else. You can't control the narrative here. You've got to wait till you hear feedback first. 
before you make your next step. So that has been a big learning curve for me to stop this what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, and constantly being in that state of limbo going, oh, my God, I don't know, what, and being on edge because that's a survival mode tactic. Being on edge is, you know, waiting for that next eruption, waiting for the next bomb to go off, and how am I going to cope with that? Um, so living a much more peaceful life now um, has been so much um, more of a blessing, and and it's quite easy when you think about it. I know it sounds crazy when you're like, you need to stop the what ifs, but once you stop the what ifs, those what ifs because what are what, what are the positive things in your life, and you keep thinking about the good things rather than the bad things. Yeah, is about framing after a certain while how you frame situations. Those what ifs, yep. you know, you kind of look at them in a different way. Yeah. Although, you know, like you say too, you know, spiritual progress or, or any type of progress, it, for that matter, for me has been like three steps forward, two steps back. Definitely. Yep. You think you've got it all handled mm-hmm. and then boom, like you're back where you were. But when you go back, you're like, hang on a second. I'm looking at this now with different eyes. So I'm not responding to how, how it was before or. You're like, okay, I can actually see that little bit of lesson where I need to learn. Why does this lesson keep coming back to me? Because I haven't figured it out yet. But it's it's the way you respond to those triggers. Um, and I don't respond to them with angst anymore, anxiety. I'm like, okay, that's what it is. Let's deal with it. Um, but, yeah, like, I guess being out of my comfort zone too and, you know, doing these um, psychic bears and things like that, it was the push that I needed. It was that, that, that belief that others had in me that I needed to believe in myself. And once I started getting out there and doing the readings and getting feedback from people and being in that element, it really made a huge difference to me. Like for a long time, I would rely on my cards, like tarot or the oracles and stuff when I was doing readings. Mm-hmm. Um, the last um, psychic fair that I did last year, the MBS, I went there with two decks of cards, but I was just like, I've got them there just for those people that need to see something tangible. Because sometimes you can be talking to people and they're like, oh, it's a bit too blase. But some people need to see that tangible evidence. This is what's picked up for you. This is what I'm connecting with. Here it is. I didn't end up using my Mm. decks at all. They sat on the table for decoration. Mm. And I was connecting with these people. I I was telling them things that were amazingly spot on. And... It, some of the things that I was telling them were shocking myself. Um, and it's funny because a lot of the times when you read people, you know, like I was, I'd be reading people and go, oh, my God, that's what I felt when I went through this situation. And for me, I felt like I had to tell them about that situation. And Robert made me realize you can only um, empathize or heal someone if you gone through that experience yourself mm-hmm. and when you're seeing your, those little flashes or you're back in that moment on how you felt emotionally or if it was fearful or anxiety or happiness or sad whatever it was it's not for you to tell them about you it's so you can tell them how to get through what you got through um and that really kind of changed my readings because i was able to explain to people you know like you will get through this you know this will happen to you but you know, there's a time period and, you know, people may say this about your mum because, you know, 
she's already grieved this process, but she's already grieved a relationship even though her partner's still living because this has happened and their relationship has changed on so many levels. Yes, they're still married, but their relationship has changed. So I was able to kind of connect the dots with what I was feeling and being able to read for them and pass on that information so they could they had that clarity, they had that comfort that things were going to be okay. This is like a normal process of, you know, grieving or, you know, this is a process of, you know, moving forward and, and establishing yourself. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a, it's been a wild ride and I'm sure there's more of a wild ride in the roller coaster to come. That's for <laughs> sure. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's I, I think back on how my life was six years ago and it's completely different, completely different. And it might seem hard and it might seem like a nightmare to even try and figure out where you're going to be from one moment to the next. But, I have this mountain in front of me, but I don't have to get to the top right away. I've got to focus on what's in front of me at that moment. And sometimes what's in front of me is really easy to navigate. And sometimes there'll be things that, you know, require me to, you know, sit with it a little minute and figure out which path I'm going to take and then make that decision um, and work my way slowly up this mountain. And by taking the fact that I have to get to the top straight away, taking that out of the equation, it just, there was a sense of calm washed over me. I was just like, I don't have to be this from A to B, like straight away. I can do, you know, A and just take these little tiny, little stale pace steps. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's a lot to take in, but it's so worth that journey. Like, and you don't realize how strong you are until you start to make that change and you realize that you are worth it and that you are, you, can have everything that your heart desires. But if you don't believe that you're worth it, and if you don't believe that you can do it, then you're not going to do it. You're going to be stuck where you are. And so having having to learn how to believe in myself, um, that was probably one of the biggest struggles that I went through. It's hard yeah. to uh, change all that negative self-talk. Yeah. When you've been in that negative self-talk for pretty much like – at that time, it was like 37, 38 years I'd been in that negative self-talk, not thinking that I was worthy, not thinking that I was, you know, worth to be loved or that I was special or that, you know, people were recognizing me for me. It was always a comparison to other people, you know, like I was always compared to my cousin who was a year older than me because she's a hairdresser. So I was a hairdresser too, so I was copying her. And our style of even hairdressing was completely different. It was – we were in different salons that were – I was in more of, I guess, more of a, a younger, funkier kind of salon where she was in more of an older residential um, kind of salon. Mm. So our trainers were different. I had a younger trainer. My manager who trained me was younger than the lady that trained her. Our work was different. So comparing me to her, I was always going to fall short because I'm not her. But if you compare me to me, well, then there's changes to be made. You can say, you know what, she's actually great. Like, she wasn't the same person that she was five years ago. She's not the same person that she was an hour ago. Um, and realizing, too, that things that I thought I believed in weren't actually my beliefs. They were beliefs that were conditioned or passed on to me by other people around me and told me how to believe or told me how to behave or told me how to act. Um, I've always had this rebellious streak. I always have, like, when my mum told me I couldn't do something, 
I was like, you want to make a bet? I'm going to go and do it bigger and badder than you ever thought I could do it. Just to prove a point. Just to prove that I wasn't who she thought I was was and who I was. Um, and more times than not, it got me into trouble. Mm-hmm. But I needed to do that for me to prove that I could go and do something. She's telling me I couldn't. I'm going to go do it. I'm going to prove her wrong. Um, but that's how you learn too. If you don't go out and try things, how are you ever going to know whether you can or you can't do something? Um, so yeah, there's, there's, there's lots of stuff going on, but it's, it's, oh, look, I wouldn't change anything for the world. I wouldn't change anything for the world. Um, all the trauma that I've been through, my relationships, it's made me who I am today. And I wouldn't be who I am without all that, that baggage, so to speak. But it's not letting that baggage define me. It's not letting that baggage hold me back and keep me a prisoner of my emotions. It's learning to express my emotions in a positive and healthy way and letting it go. And letting it go can be the hardest thing to do, but it is the most liberating thing you will ever do. If you let your your brain, your ego keep controlling your emotions, it's going to cause you to be sick. It's going to cause you anxiety. It's going to cause you depression. Because you're in this hamster wheel going around and around and around. You know, sit with that emotion. Let it go and then just move on. Um, that has been a big learning curve for me mm-hmm. and been one of the best things that I have learned. Um, and you can't control everyone else's feels. You can't control, control those responses. Um, I have a mantra that really got me through um, setting boundaries for myself because I had no boundaries previously. Um, other people's opinions of me are none of my business. And I had to start realizing that, you know what, I need to do what's right for me. I don't care what other people think. They can have an opinion all they like, but they don't know me. They haven't been through what I've been through, so they can judge and have that opinion all they like, but their opinion doesn't bother me. I'm going to be me regardless of what you think. Um, and that was that was life-altering, really. That was That became something that I would say to myself every day. Other people's opinions of me are none of my business. Other people's opinions of me are none of my business. And it stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it made me stronger. It made me set those boundaries because I would say yes to everybody else, but instead I started saying no to everyone else and saying yes to myself. Yeah. And if people didn't like those boundaries, it was because I wasn't available to them the way I used to be or I wasn't at their beck and call the way I used to be. So it was their expectations of how I would respond or react that was being let down. So that's why they would get angry. That's why they would get frustrated or, you know, had these little outbursts at me mm-hmm. because I wasn't doing what they wanted. Um, but you need to do what's right for you, not not what's right for everybody else. Right. It's tough to uh, not worry about other, what other people are thinking about you, especially when you're young. Yeah. You know, as you get older, I think it, it – it's easier to not worry about it. But when I was young, that was everything to me. Yeah. That's it because, like, you know, when, especially when you're a young kid or, you know, you want that praise from your parents. Mm-hmm. You want, you know, to recognize you've done a good job in school or when you got this award or you did something spectacular. You wanted that praise to know that, you know, you were doing a good job. Um, I didn't get a lot of that growing up. So I, I think in one way I was sort of craving that more as I got older by being a yes person, but it wasn't really getting the praise that I really wanted in return. I wasn't getting 
I still wasn't getting it. I'm getting more praise now um, at 44 because I had boundaries in place, because I'm putting myself first and putting my own needs first and and not sacrificing myself to help others. Um, I've I've also, you know, put in place that, you know, if my cup isn't 60% full, I, I'm not giving out to anybody else. Um, because I have a chronic illness, I know that my energy can deplete with a click of the fingers. So I need to know that I've got enough energy in there for me. So if I'm not at 60%, well, I can't do anything for someone. And I say, I'm sorry, I can't help you at the moment. And it's not because I don't want to help, but because I'm helping myself first. Because no one else is going to put me first except for me. And that's the same with everyone else. You need to put yourself first because no one else is going to look out for you like you look out for yourself. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's a, it was a whole new mindset, a whole new switching of the way of thinking. And when you've been thinking a certain way for 37, 38 years, it takes a little while to sort of get that narrative changed start and start thinking about things in a different way, starting to prioritize yourself and not looking at it as being selfish, not looking at it you're being, you know, just taking advantage or – because that's what I used to do. I'm, am I just taking advantage of people then because I've been, you know, helping them and am I being nasty because I'm not doing things for them the way they want me to be? And I'm like, well, no, I'm not actually being nasty. I'm just putting myself and my own needs first. Mm. Wow. That's quite a story. It's amazing that you've survived all that and have come out on the other side where you are. Thank you. Look, there's, there's times when I didn't think that I would. There's lots of times when I never thought I would. Um, but uh, I'm so glad that I'm here. I'm so glad that I can be the role model for my kids to change, Good. to know that, you know, Yes, there was, um, there was this broken woman that wasn't able to be there for you guys the way that I needed to be and should have been. But look at me now. Look at how far I've come. Look, you know, and no matter what adversity you are facing, you can get through it. It may not seem like it at the time, but you can. Um, and I get that for me with my kids, my daughter not speaking to me, that was the hardest. That was the hardest because I would have been going and picking her up from school every day. And I was there one day. I'm like, where are you? And she sent me a text, F off. And when I tried to call her, she'd blocked me. And I got blocked from, without being told why I was blocked or why she didn't want to see me. And when she eventually came around, she goes, I felt abandoned by you, mum. That's why I didn't speak to you. And to have this relationship that I have with her now, that she texts me every day, she does little videos to me, she's asked me to pick up from school every day. Like I see her more now than what I did when I had my visitation rights. I see her more now and have more interaction with her than when I was living in that toxic family environment because we have we make time for each other. Um, and seeing them be proud of me and having my kids tell me that they're proud of me that has been worth every bit of heartache and every bit of struggle that I've been through that has just been the best outcome for anything to know that they are proud of me um because I'm proud of myself I'm really proud of myself because there was times I didn't think I'd make it but here I am and I'm thriving 
and life is getting better and better every day. Not every day is roses. Don't get me wrong. Don't think that everything, I'm going to have everything together all at once, but I just handle things when they come up a lot differently these days. It's not that survival mode instinct. It's mm. a, let's think about this calmly and approach it kind of different. And that has been one of the biggest changes. Wow. Wow, this has been a great interview. I'm glad that Robert um, hooked us up to do this. Um, I learned a lot from you. You're an amazing, really strong woman. And um, before we wrap it up, where's the best place for my listeners to find you? Um, on Facebook, it's at Tinker's Spiritual Belly, T-I-N-K-A, apostrophe S, Tinker's um, Spiritual Belly. Um, or I have an email address. Tinkerbellbocek at gmail.com. All right. Well, um, after this, send me an email link to your, um, to your Facebook so I can put it in the notes of this episode. And I'll also put it in the, um, in my Facebook group so my Facebook members can go check you out. Awesome. Thank you. Yes, it was great. And thank you for being on and just hang on for a moment and I will play the outro. Thank you.